Welcome to Muse Views, the podcast for the Muse community about the Muse community. Muse is a nonprofit education networking group for users of the Meditech electronic health record system. Here on our podcast, we chat with healthcare IT folks about ideas, opportunities, strategies, and solutions to improve work life experiences and share views you can use. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, TJ Temple, and I would like to thank you for joining us today. Today, we're going to tackle the topic of business intelligence. I'm pleased to have Brian Figler, a data operations specialist from Firelands Health located in Sandusky, Ohio, on the podcast today. Brian has a long history with business intelligence and data management, but is fairly new to the healthcare scene. The Muse community is always blessed with great content from members of the Firelands team, and I'm sure we are in for more great content today. Without further delay, let's welcome to the podcast, Brian. Brian, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit more about Firelands and the business intelligence team there. Oh, well, Firelands, in terms of the business intelligence team, is it's kind of a new focus that we've, we've had. About a year ago, we kind of pulled off a couple of people to have a data management department that was really kind of kind of focused on these things. Previously, it had been kind of just kind of spur across several people. And so that was from the IT standpoint, we could kind of focus on that from pretty much all the data pieces in terms of files to vendors, interfaces, as well as all the, the reporting needs. And then there are also a couple of uh, other people and groups sort of um, you know, elsewhere in the organization that have kind of traditionally done data things. And we pulled together a what we call a data governance committee to kind of keep all those players kind of meeting on a regular basis and kind of talking through various issues and trying to address things on kind of, a, you know, on, on a larger scale. Like everything, you know, it's, everything's kind of a good progress and we're just kind of continuing to re- refine things, you know, shift people and resources around as it makes sense and as we have uh, you know, different opportunities to do things. That's a great background on your team and the services they provide. We'll dig more into some of those details later in the podcast. I'm especially interested in hearing more about your data governance committee. You mentioned there are a couple of non-IT analysts that do some business intelligence work. Are those resources in your finance and quality areas? Well, we do actually have a dedicated business analysis group. So it's fairly small. It's only a few people, but they traditionally have done a lot of the particularly financial aspects of things, uh, financial reporting, pulling things together for that and, you know, researching for contracts and carriers and things like that. So um, so that, that group was already there. They had had sort of their own data resources that were predated a lot of us. And those kind of went away after we, we moved to Expanse and sort of got everybody moving into more of a direction with the DR so that uh, now they're more SQL-based and, and sort of retired their old data tools. And so kind of brought them into the fold a little bit more in terms of the resources. So we're all kind of going after the same resources now in terms of data access. And so obviously we're sharing a lot of the the same tools and, you know, splitting up some of the the workload there for some of the the BI aspects of things. Okay. Very good. That's pretty common. It seems like to have, you know, some, a financial analyst or a quality department analyst that kind of has their own niche there, but it's good that you're bridging that gap and pulling everybody together especially from a data governance standpoint. You mentioned interfacing. Do you guys have an interface engine or or do you stand up your own? What do you use there? Yeah, we use CorePoint for most of that task. And um, obviously, that's a whole kind of universe uh, unto itself. <laughs> but um, that's, that's kind of part of, the, part of the picture of what we're trying to cover in our group. So we know you have BCA, Business and Clinical Analytics, from your great jam session that you did, I guess, last week or a week or so ago with Muse. Do you have other business intelligence tools? beyond BCA? 
probably depends on how we classify business intelligence <laughs> tools. We had mostly, from a reporting standpoint, you know, had been using SSRS and sort of what we had in place before we rolled out PCA. So, you know, that has, you know, some filtering and kind of drill down capabilities. Obviously, not quite as robust as something that like PCA has. But you talk about that sort of tool. Yeah, BCA is pretty much the big one at this point. Cool. I was back at my previous organization, we had several tools and it's it's good to have just one or at least limit them as best you can, because anytime one tool says one number off different than another one, or depending on how someone's running a port, you get into this kind of he said, she said thing between the different vendors and it can be kind of confusing. So that's, that's good that you're trying to pull out together. You mentioned SSRS. Are you just publishing that through a web and, and, and allowing people in that way? Or how are you managing that? It's used for a couple of different functions. One is yeah, definitely uh, some you know, reporting in terms of being accessible, internet kind of way for people to get in and get to things. We also use that for a lot of the reports we need to just uh, email internally to people, you know, sort of daily, weekly kind of things that people want to see in an automated fashion. When we had uh, moved to Expanse, which happened just a, a few months after I started, Ireland's had also used that to rewrite part of that task. There was a pretty big rewrite of a lot of our reporting infrastructure as part of that conversion. And a lot of those things got moved to SSRS, including a lot of the vendor files and different sort of data extracts that we needed. Uh, some, some of those are built directly in SSRS and, and created with scheduled extracts to create files to send off various places. So and that was obviously more of a behind the scenes scheduled kind of task that nobody really saw from the user standpoint. But that was sort of the two main things that, you know, kind of functions that SSRS filled for us. Cool. This may be too much of a in the weeds question, but when the users log into SSRS, how do you have your folder structures arranged? Is it like by department or is it individual folders by user? Or how are you kind of managing that folder layout? Or if it is folders at all, and then how are you managing access and controls within that? There are folders. I wouldn't say that it is probably at this point an optimal hierarchy of how things probably should be set up. A lot of those decisions were kind of made early on and maybe not fully thought out. And now it's probably one of those things that's a little bit more hassle on its worth to try and rearrange things. But we do have a bunch of people using it initially. So we had a lot of kind of private folders for people to work on their own things, mostly in the IS area. We had a couple of main sort of live working areas that a lot of the more general reports went into. And then also try to carve out two separate folders for the scheduled extracts. So like I was, I was talking about before, the ones that are just dedicated to creating files. So we can kind of keep those out of sight for people, as well as the folders that are specifically with restricted access where we can put the, all the reports that have anything that's particularly sensitive or has any PHI in it. So that we can kind of segregate those off because a lot of people would have potentially have access to some of the more general things that are out there. But we don't really have people out there browsing, you know, for reports in that respect. I mean, mostly pushing links out to people or putting links in menus so that, you know, people are going to specific reports. So we haven't really had to deal much with having a more sensible hierarchy or grouping of reports for particular areas. Because basically the people who need them know how to get to them. And, you know, we just kind of help coordinate that and get that into, get them into people's hands so that there's not a whole lot of people just kind of browsing around and needing to kind of find their way through what's out there. That sounds like a pretty good approach. I mean, you know, folder systems, after you design them, you always look back and think you could do it better, but it sounds like you guys have a pretty good handle on that. 
Have you done any kind of, I guess, hot linking? I'm not sure the exact term to use, but I know there used to be a way, at least in Meditech, to launch an SSRS report within a menu of Meditech. Have you guys done that at all, or are you just going to a web address? We have done that when that's what the users really want. Honestly, it's a pretty kind of cumbersome process to get that in. It's not exactly a great user interface experience in terms of how they get out of it in particular. So most people are just kind of happy just getting a link to something, you know, they bookmark it, they put it on their desktop, whatever, they know how to get to it. And they don't really necessarily need it in a particular Meditech menu. But we have certainly done that. And if we do have things that are going to probably be shared more in, in kind of larger groups, we might put on a menu just to kind of simplify things. Just because it's a little clunky sometimes, you know, it's not usually our first choice. So when it comes to custom reports, and putting them in these different folders and things, how do you get those requests into the system? Do they come in via a report request form? And then kind of a secondary follow-up to that, how do you know that that report doesn't already exist as a standard content report or something that's already out there in a dashboard or a, a sort or a filter or something already in expanse and you don't want to waste your time building a custom? How does that vetting process work? Well, first off, in terms of, you know, we do have just sort of a general IS ticketing system, and we just actually moved to a new one, I think about a year ago, COVID time, can't keep track of anything. And as part of that, it could handle, so we were looking at some new custom forms for different sorts of requests, and one of the things that came up was whether or not we wanted to do one specifically for, you know, data requests. And obviously, the needs for this to vary, you know, really depend on, you know, what your organization needs, but... um in terms of you know what you're trying to track and how you're trying to track it, we don't have a system where we're you know charging by the hour or anything like that back to particular departments. So we don't have that aspect of things kind of driving the process. So it's really just more of a, what do we want to try and gather on the on the front end uh, to try and make the process a little bit easier. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that, you know once you kind of go down the rabbit hole. I mean, you could try to cover every possible scenario. You could come up with a really elaborate you know three-page form, which, you know, let's face it, I mean, uh, nobody's going to fill out and they're probably, if they do, they're not going to fill it out correctly. And it's just overkill for a lot of requests. The other aspect of that is too, is, you know, if you're trying to come up with a form like that, I mean, you got to look at how consistently is it really going to be used? I mean, if the CEO wants uh, data, are you going to tell them to go fill out the data request form? You know, probably not. And uh, probably goes for a lot of other senior people in the organization. So, you know, and if those people say make up half of your request to begin with, I mean, you kind of got to ask yourself if if that sort of a form is really going to get off the ground and really add any value. So that's a big part of it. And we just sort of kind of kept it within the context of the regular ticket system. Basically, the request comes in, just whatever they they type. And sometimes it's literally not more than a sentence. And you kind of have to, you know, dig in from there. But then that can go you know, to us and we can kind of go from there. And in terms of, you know, trying to figure out whether or not we're covered with something that's existing, you know, that's that's always kind of a tricky thing. You know, you never, it seems like no matter how much documentation you're trying to do on things, you never can manage to quite document exactly what the next request is going to ask about. So we probably press a little bit too much on just our own, since it is a you know, fairly small group and fairly small you know, number of people to just work amongst ourselves based on our own memories of what we know that's out there or if we know that other people have worked on certain things. I mean, obviously you can kind of search through some of the tickets and, and things to refresh your memory or emails, but it's a little bit more of a manual process. I mean, it's one of those things you kind of wish would be better, but at the same time, it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, it's... Those forms, like you said, they can get really long and complex. It seems like the organizations I've been, I've seen be successful with it, just use it as a checklist for themselves. They end up, like you said, they take that one or two sentence request 
from the user, you know, pull up the form and fill it out themselves as they're talking to the user about, you know, what what sorts they want and what selections they want and what they want the picture to look like and that sort of thing. Because usually the users don't know what they're asking for a lot of the time. So there is a fine line there. And like you said, C-suite folks don't tend to want to fill out long documents like that when they're needing data quickly. So have you experimented at all with any kind of like tagging system as far as putting a tag for like finance or I don't know, quality or something on your SSRS reports just so that you get this request and it's like, I think that sounds familiar. I mean, do you kind of rely back on the service test system or have you guys done any kind of tagging or metadata at all? Not too much. I do think we try to come up with particularly just descriptive and maybe longer than necessary titles of reports. That can sometimes be an aid as you're searching for things and, um, and you know, tend to put in, you know, certain abbreviations, something for quality or something for pharmacy or something like that to, to sort of have them, even if we don't have a folder structure, at least kind of work that into the naming convention so that we can kind of at least find our way to a particular set of reports and dig into them that way. So it's always a great thing to have, but getting there is just never quite seems to be enough time to really kind of sit down and, and map out the you know ultimate solution for that. Yeah. I understand that for sure. Naming is the way to go, it sounds like to me, and that's what I've always seen be successful as well. It's just sometimes risky because it may say insurance claims by facility, and then that report has a built-in filter that filters out a certain facility or certain location, and someone runs with that, think based on the title, and then it's giving them what they call incorrect data. It's not incorrect. It's correct data from the report, but they don't really know what's involved behind the scenes. So that is always a tricky thing there to get that named correctly and make sure that people don't use it for the wrong reasons. I'm just going to say, too, I think that's why it's kind of important that we're kind of a little bit of a buffer in there and that we encourage people to just kind of go poking around for you know, for reports on their own to think, oh, this is what I need based on the title, and it, and it really isn't. So, I mean, I think that's kind of a crucial function that we play there to not only help find whatever may be there, but if we need to tweak it or adjust it or whatever, or at least dig, be able to dig into the logic and be able to say, okay, you realize this is only doing this, and you know maybe we need to a different version for you for what you're looking for, or at least, you know, be aware of what the, you know, what, what the specific logic is, because, you know, that's, that's, is, you know, one of the you know, downsides of letting people go, you know, kind of, you know, uh, hunt and find their own things is that sometimes they find the wrong things and don't really realize it. So. Yeah. Well said, well said. That's always one of my favorite complaints is this report's wrong and it's not, it's doing exactly what it was designed to do, but that's not what you wanted it to do. So it's always a fun one. So do you guys have any kind of standing like SLAs, service level agreements or turnaround times or anything on your reporting? Or how do you kind of manage the end user's expectations when it comes to meeting data either quickly or just in general? Well, obviously, it's pretty fluid, not just in terms of what's coming in in terms of requests, but just in terms of you know how, how many hours a day we actually have to work on X, Y, and Z versus the things we didn't know about four hours ago. You know, I think we you know, just, just try to have a good relationship with the users and try and obviously the one of the toughest questions, probably one of the things that would be on that form that you'd probably never really get a really great answer to is, when do you need this? Because uh, very few people will say, yeah, just, you know, whenever. If you're trying to prioritize a lot of different tasks, you really just kind of have to work with the people who are asking it and asking for it and figure out what really makes the most sense in terms of a timeline. You know, sometimes there are things tied into other projects where you could literally be holding up a huge project if you can't deliver certain things. And obviously those tend to have priority. Obviously there's different things that are going to have different impacts and the ones with the highest impact, you know, tend to, tend to, you know, get to the top of the list too. And obviously you also have the factor of, you know, who's asking for it. 
So it is just kind of a day by day, you know, hour by hour process of just trying to keep a handle on all the requests that you have and just work on the ones that have the most need at the moment and then circle back and pick up everything else, uh, you know, as you can. So, you know, I've seen in the past where you kind of have a low, medium, high based on if it's financial needs or if it's patient safety or that sort of thing. But it's amazing how many requests all of a sudden somehow link to patient safety or link to finance when it's really just somebody that waited too long to put a request in. Or So I get that putting out the fires first, for sure. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about data governance in general. You mentioned that you have a committee that kind of oversees your data governance. Talk to us about that. Who's on the committee? How often does it meet? What's the role of that committee? It's really something that's just come up in the past couple of years. And obviously with COVID in there, its evolution has probably been stunted a little bit with, with everything else that was going on and impeding people getting together and such. But it's basically the kind of people I talked about before, the different areas that are actually kind of in the weeds with the data, along with our CIO, so that uh, you know he can keep a handle on what's going on. But basically, there's a lot of different things, you know, trying to handle that group and like kind of an evolving function, a couple of the key tasks that were in the middle of now is just trying to, and this is always, I know, a perennial issue in, in any organization of just trying to come to some definitions and standards in terms of uh, data definitions for different metrics, because obviously those can vary widely, even with people calling things the same, using the same terms that maybe mean different things in different areas, different departments and so forth. So just trying to get a handle on that and trying to get hopefully even people to agree on certain things. And, you know, we're also dealing with just some bigger picture. You know, we have questions about you know, what we're doing with BCA, or what we're doing with the DR. We're actually working on a, an actual real data warehouse project to not just the DR data, but potentially other systems data into one place and be able to do a little bit more higher level work on that. And we're still Kind of getting that off the ground, but that's obviously a big discussion topic um, in the group. So it's really just you know whatever comes up that we think could really impact people kind of across that that group, and just trying to keep everybody on the same page, make sure that everybody's aware of what's going on and ideas around of different things that we can accomplish and different opportunities and issues and so forth, and just kind of go from there. Nice. That sounds like a really valuable committee. And that's something that most organizations struggle with. So that's pretty cool to hear that you have a dedicated group to meet consistently and deal with those data issues. And I'm sure many of the news community would love to hear more specifics on how you do that. And that might make a good presentation on its own, or if you have policies around that or that sort of thing. So that's something that most organizations struggle with. You mentioned COVID several times, COVID time, I heard you say earlier, and that was a pretty good term, a good way to put it. I agree with that. How's the COVID pandemic impacted your team and not physically health-wise, but what have you seen <laughs> from the report standpoints and have you seen the need for data increase or be more timely or change frequently? What have you seen there? Well, I think one of the things that really kind of gave us a, a good opportunity to use uh, the features of BCA kind of more to its fullest. We're sort of in a kind of a weird position with BCA. It's like, so, you know, we did the expanse conversion and really BCA, you know, came after that by... Technically, it was a year, but it was probably like another year after that before it was really kind of fully out its legs under it. So after going through the expanse conversion, a lot of reporting rework that was done for that, and obviously a lot of follow-up work after expanse and reporting for new workflows and tweaking other existing things, you know, we kind of had just gone through a pretty sizable thing where we pretty much touched every 
every reporting and data file that we were pulling out of the system. So when BCA came along, it didn't always have a lot of real clear needs. I mean, there's probably certain a lot of things that we could have done with that if we had had it at the time, but it was now really kind of being served by another process. And, you know, one of those things of, was it really worth trying to go back and just basically just change tools? And so I think COVID was kind of one of those things that came out of the blue and we kind of had to start from scratch and we had to get data out to a lot of different people and pull in a lot of different types of data and present it in a useful, hopefully visual way sometimes. I think that from initially in terms of a lot of the testing and the, and the statistics we were gathering on that, and then of course the vaccination process was a whole other thing we need to keep track of on top of that. I think that's really where we had an opportunity with BCA to just kind of use that from day one and build what we needed in there and get information out to people through that platform in a way that we probably really just hadn't had a real opportunity to use it in that way before then. That's great. I'm sure Firelands is happy to have a team like you guys on site to uh, help with those sort of things, and especially in a pandemic, to be able to pivot and provide data timely and in a meaningful way. A lot of organizations don't have that luxury of having kind of a BI team on site. So that's great that you're able to help your organization through that. So as you kind of wrap up here, is there anything that your team has produced or worked on recently that you're particularly proud of or had a major clinical or operational impact? just kind of seems like uh, every day is a new challenge and new things that need to be done. So, you know, it's really kind of hard to put it down to just one or two things on a lot of things that we do kind of, you know, behind the scenes to support other projects that are obviously important too. So I'd be hard pressed to come up with anything that was too specific. That just means you're doing everything great. So that's, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> one thing that popped in my brain as you were saying that is, you know, you were talking about behind the scene work and, End users may not realize what's going on and that sort of thing. One thing I've seen commonly in other organizations is end users are kind of scared of BI, not only from a standpoint of, you know, not knowing how to use the tools or not understanding SQL tables or, or anything like that, but also from the standpoint of fear of their own job. If, you know, if you can automate something, a file that someone's uploading every day, or, you know, the fact that someone's spending an hour correlating three or four spreadsheets together and you write a report to replace that duty. Are you seeing any of that? And how do you, how do you deal with that if that does happen? And how are you treating your team as a tool versus a threat, I guess? Well, I think that goes both ways. I mean, certainly you have scenarios like you described, but, but you know, honestly, you've also had to go the other way. I mean, we've had situations where we've brought together, you know, data, things that people were having to pull manually and things that they were just you know, doing as part of their job to where they were literally having to be sort of in the crunch time that they were up till three or four o'clock in the morning, you know, having to do all the stuff manually. And then you can basically give them a report that says, Hey, here's all the stuff that you need. You can kind of get it all in one shot and you don't have to do all that steps. I mean, I've we literally had like people in tears, you know, they were, they were so happy about how much easier things were going to be when we delivered that sort of stuff to them. So that's the good side of that. Hopefully those that way, the scenarios where people aren't interested in it. But, you know, I will just say too, you know, it comes to tools and self, you know, sort of self-service in general, if it's something that kind of goes hand in hand and we're talking about the, the BI tools. I think that there's, speaking of this in terms of pylons, also going back to my previous lives and experience. And I think that there's a bit of a siren song for self-service and it's sort of IT can kind of see it as, oh, this is a solution. We push this out. People can take care of their own needs. They don't need to bug us for every little thing that they need. The users see it the same way. Say, hey, I can get what I want without having to go to somebody else. There's still a threshold there in terms of skills and effort that needs to be done. I mean, no matter how good the tool is, no matter how good the data is, and it will never have all the data anybody 
you know, could ever want. There, that's you know always going to be a deficiency. But think that the role of the IT department is to give the people who can do that, you know, the tools they need. But if you have people who you know, maybe aren't comfortable doing that or just don't really have the particular skill set to do that, I mean, you need to be able to accommodate them too, because that's not really meant to be derogatory towards those people. It's probably not what you hire them for. You you hire people for specific skills that probably, you know, in a hospital do not always overlap with their technology skills of working with particular applications. So it's kind of part of the process that we need to be able to account to everybody and give everybody what they need. And you need to be able to have a scenario where you can take care of that with whatever is the most productive for the whole group. Yeah, really well said. I, I kind of took a negative spin on it there and you you turned it in the other direction, which is a very, very valid point that, you know, think of all the time you have saved people and how grateful they are so they can go back to doing their job, the job they were hired to do. And it is very hard working at IT to sometimes we forget there's a patient on the other end of that or why don't they know how to run this query or do that thing. And we easily forget we may not be able to go up and start that IV or resuscitate that patient or deliver that breathing treatment or whatever it may be. So we're all in it together to take care of the patients just in different ways. So that's very well said. Well, Brian, I really appreciate your time today and appreciate all the uh, nuggets that you've given to the Muse community here. I think there's been lots of good stuff shared. I like to always end the podcast with just a uh, anything that you're enjoying personally, whether it's a, a book you're reading or a podcast you're listening to or anything that you're uh, enjoying right now. One thing I did think of, I was exposed to this author through a podcast, but I can't really honestly remember which podcast it was. So I think I'll just go right to his actual book that he was being interviewed on. But it's a book by Dr. Robert Burton, and it's called On Being Certain. He's a neurologist and just kind of walks through a lot of the mechanics of how certain things in the brain work that we kind of take for granted and sort of assume things work certain ways of how we come to conclusions and how we think things are right or wrong. And just suffice to say, it probably doesn't work exactly like we think it would, especially in terms of it being a purely sensible and logical process. And on top of that, all the different things that can happen with memory of memories really don't work exactly like we would like them to either. And a lot of the memories that we have are probably not actually fully accurate. And it's just a very interesting read just to kind of go through and uh, just to kind of get a better sense of how we all tick. <laughs> very cool. Sounds very interesting. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And we'll also link your previous recording of the jam session that you did on BCA in case any of the listeners want to hear more specifics about BCA or just rewatch or re-listen to that jam session on the Muse website. Brian, thanks again for your time. And we will wrap the podcast up here. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Muse Views. Don't forget to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast fix. And visit museweb.org for information about Muse.